hope you've been blessed with uh, you, you know the series that have been coming forth this morning and I know that I have not only been blessed but been challenged um, and I think if you if you are just blessed but not challenged to really do something about the situation you find yourself in then not all of the time but most likely you've, you've really all that's really happened is you've just been tickled a bit um, and that may be okay for some uh, but really really truly um, what God's word does is it doesn't return void. It, when it's sent out, it's sent out with an assignment and it must accomplish something. It must convict you, it must prick you in your heart, it must, it must cause you to want to change, to want to be better, to want to be stronger, to want to be faster. Amen. Um, and so that would be in my encouragement to you this morning and I hope that that's exactly what's going to happen this morning. This morning we're speaking about rebuilding the walls. Um, let me just get this out the way. There we go. This morning we're speaking about rebuilding the walls. And you know when I thought about this and 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 I've I've been preparing and I've been I've been waiting on the Lord and I've been saying, you know, Lord, what can I what, what is it that I can speak about this morning? What is it that that you want to say through me? Um and I kept going back and forth but but ultimately, you know, God kept bringing me back to this message of rebuilding the walls. Now, when when we talk about a wall, or when we when we speak about walls, what walls represent is is a number of different things. So, if you are, if we are the city of Centurion, but way back when in the in the BC age, um, if we were the city of Centurion, we would. Without a shadow of a doubt, if we were a thriving city, if we were a wealthy, industrious city, um, we would have surrounding our city, surrounding, and as a matter of fact, indicating the borders, the demarcated area of our city, we would have walls. And they'd be high walls. And there's a reason why those walls would be high. The reason for the walls is it indicates exactly where the outside world, as it were, ends and where we actually begin. And even more more than that, walls, I would say their primary purpose is they represent protection. They literally represent protection from the enemy. So if we were the Centurion Knights back way back when in BC, we would most likely be at war with the Ammonites, the Hittites, and all the other ites, right? And they would literally be trying to penetrate our walls. And if we were uh, um, a, a, a city that was strong and healthy and vibrant, our walls would also represent the state of our city. So crumble and dilapidated walls are indicative of a crumbled and dilapidated city. If your walls are burnt down, it, it is an indication of the state of affairs in your city. If your walls have been broken down, it's an indication of the situation in your city. So first and foremost, walls represent protection. They also represent wealth and provision. Because if we're wealthy enough and we have the resources, that's the reason why we're able to build those high walls. That's the reason why we're able to fortify our city in that way. Because we've got the resources. We've got the manpower. We show that actually we're a thriving city. That actually business is booming here. One of the things that also happens at, at the city gates is a lot of the business of the city. So a lot of the, a lot of the wheeling and dealing, where deals are made, where, 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 where tenders are secured, where contracts are signed, happens at the city gates. And you can't have city gates if you don't have walls to support those gates. So it's an indication of how, how, how your economy within your city is doing, about how uh, the, the, the politics um, uh, of, of that city, um, are, 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 you know, the state that you find yourself in as a city with regards to politics, with regards to economy, with regards to wealth, with regards to strength, with regards to protection. And I thought about it, and you and I this morning... If we're speaking about, and if the subject, and if the topic is rebuilding the walls, what does that mean for you and I? Because you and I are not cities, right? So what do walls represent? What would be the, the equivalent representation of walls in my life and in your life? Well, first and foremost, I know that I have an enemy out there. And I know that that enemy is out there to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's looking to steal, to kill, and to destroy from me. 
so walls first and foremost with me as well would represent spiritual protection against the enemy so I'm thinking of things like the blood of Jesus that has never ever lost its power and never ever will lose its power. I'm thinking about things like a world where I know that I am abiding in him. I know that I am connected to the vine. I'm thinking of the wall of his word that literally is a hedge around me. That as I speak and confess his word, I speak those things which are not as though they are. And literally the wall of his word is like a shield in front of me. I think of things like praise and of worship and of prayer when I think of my walls that the walls that I need to keep built up or make sure that the enemy does not break those walls down those are the walls that I think about building a wall is challenging enough of a task on its own so just building a wall from scratch that's 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 enough of a challenge all on its own but rebuilding a wall is even more challenging as it involves you first having to negotiate the existing rubble from the world that used to be the world that once existed so before you can even begin to construct or reconstruct the world you first have to deal with the rubble the broken bricks the dust, the cement, the aftermath of the world that once was. I'm saying this for a reason. I'm saying this because it may just be by the end of this message that you actually realize that one of the other worlds that we speak about is worlds of relationship. I have a relationship with Brother Jimmy. And there's, there's definitely an element of trust and confidence involved in my relationship with Jimmy. I can share certain things with Jimmy and he can share certain things with me. The moment that I break Jimmy's trust, wittingly or unwittingly, literally what I'm doing is I'm breaking down the walls between me and him. Good walls. Walls of confidence. Walls where he feels and, we, and I feel that we can confide in each other. So if, if I've done that and if I've slipped up because I'm only human and if I've made that error, it may just mean that before I can start rebuilding the trust with Jimmy, I may just have to first go back and deal with the rubble that I caused. Does it make sense? So it's not just going to be a matter of, hey, Jimmy, let's go, let's go grab a coffee. Let's kick off where we left off, brother. Me and you, man, you all the way. It's not going to be that. It may just mean, Jimmy, listen, I'm sorry, my brother. I know that I betrayed your trust. I'm really sorry for what happened. Um, I'm examining myself. I found that I've fallen short. I'm here to apologize. I'm here to make things right. It may just mean me having to deal with the rubble first. Are you with me this morning? So in our relationships with each other, rebuilding the walls always involves us first negotiating the rubble of the past in order for us to move forward in Christ and in unity, which demands a certain level of maturity, a certain level of humility and forgiveness in most, if not all, instances. For Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls while negotiating the literal rubble, as well as the ridicule from their enemies, while also anticipating an attack at any time, took this challenge to a whole new level. So there was Nehemiah, ordained by God, called to, 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 to sort out the situation. Jerusalem was, was in, an, a, 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 in a catastrophic state. Its walls had been broken down and burnt down uh, to, to, to literal nothingness. And so Nehemiah gets this burden in his heart and he prays about this. He prays about this and he searches himself and he searches God and he, and he looks for the answers. Lord, um, th this thing is grieving me so much. Can you make it possible for me to, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls? I want to rebuild the walls. And to cut a long story short, God makes it possible for him to, to, to leave uh, 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 the, the, the situation that he was in where he was under this Persian ruler and to be able to go back to Jerusalem and to be able to begin this process of rebuilding the walls. 
But the situation is so dire because not only, not only does he have to negotiate the rubble of the fallen wall, not only does he have to rebuild a wall so that there actually is a wall, so that means fixing the gaps, um, amending all of the broken pieces, but at the very same time that he's negotiating the rubble and figuring out how he's going to rebuild this wall, at the very same time, he's got other Persian rulers wanting to kill him, wanting to take him out, wanting to put an end to what God wants to do through him. In the book of Nehemiah, rebuilt walls represented literal protection from their enemies. For the children of Israel, it meant a literal hedge of protection. Rebuilding certain walls in our spiritual lives will also make us less vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. With our walls of prayer, praise, and thanksgiving built high, the enemy will meet stiff opposition when he launches attacks against God's people. He will come across the hedge of protection built up around us. He will come across children of God, heavily armed, clothed with the whole armor of God, rebuilding, watching, praying, ready for battle, ready to, def ready to defend their territory at any cost. You see, it's much easier to tear down than it is to build up. It's much, much easier to tear something down than it is to build something up. Tearing down can happen in an instant. While building often takes an investment in time, money, personnel, and various other resources. Ask anyone in the construction industry here, and there are quite a few people here this morning. Construction crews are often very large in number because the projects are often very, very large. Demolition crews, on the other hand, are usually much smaller. You see, for a demolition crew, it just takes a few strategically placed sticks of dynamite. And skyscrapers can be destroyed in just a couple of seconds. Whereas those very same majestic buildings often take years to complete from the ground up. It's much easier it's much easier to tear down than to build up. Amen. Construction projects have critical parts and timelines and milestones that must be adhered to, failing which harsh penalties are often imposed, and the success or the failure of the project some three years down the line is often impacted by the delays or the successes that are experienced today. When it comes to building something, it's a matter of all hands on deck and all shoulders to the plow. Working overtime and having both day and night shift crews is very commonplace on a construction project. You'll see exactly what I'm speaking about when we go through Nehemiah chapter 4. The book of Nehemiah describes how God had led the people of Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The captivity of the Jews had already come to an end. They were allowed to return to Israel. They were allowed to rebuild their nation. Many of them had returned and many of them had inhabited Israel. But because their enemies lived all around them, the city walls remained broken down and burnt. Let's go there. Nehemiah chapter 4. Reading from the Amplified Bible. But when... I won't say his name. Sand something. Heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He became furious, completely enraged, and he ridiculed the Jews. He became furious, completely enraged, and he ridiculed the Jews. Now the fact that Nehemiah knew that they were being ridiculed tells me that they had heard the ridicules being leveled at them. They were fully aware. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I've said the scripture many, many times. In this life, we will have trouble. We will have persecution. We will go through stuff. But we are encouraged to be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. But nevertheless, 
I'm here to tell you this morning that in the process of rebuilding the walls, whether we like it or whether we lump it, there is going to be persecution. Let's continue to verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? This is the Persian speaking. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the heaps of dust and rubbish? Even the ones that have been burned? You see, the voice of the enemy will always come and try to bring into question what you are trying to do and what you believe God has called you to do. The purpose here is to sow seeds of doubt. Literally, the purpose of all of this barrage of questions, is this possible? What are these feeble Jews doing? What are they trying to do? Do they really think that they can reconstruct out of the burnt rubble and out of the rubbish? What are these guys trying to do? Do they really think it's possible? All of these questions, all of these statements are there to literally bring and sow seeds of doubt into those who are busy on the construction project. You see, in the Garden of Eden, way, way, way back when, in the book of Genesis, what does Satan do? He simply poses a question to Eve. He simply comes to Eve and says, Did God really say that you are not allowed to eat from any tree in this garden? Is that really what God said? Immediately a seed of doubt is sown. Yes, but did God really actually say that I'm not allowed to eat from the trees in this garden? And we all know the story of what happens after that. That's the strategy of the enemy. That was his strategy way back when in the Garden of Eden. It's still his strategy today. You'll get a, a, an absolute crystal clear revelation of what God wants you to do. You'll, you'll know it like you know it like you know it. And you'll be confident, man. You'll be walking around telling people all about it. You'll be going around posting it on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. That this is what God has called you to do. This is your season. This is your time. And one of your relatives will just come in. But did God really say? I, 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 I see the excitement, but are you sure that God really, re are you sure that God meant now? Are you, are you sure this is the right time? How are your investments doing? How is this going to impact your employment? Uh, my guy, how is this going to affect the insurance on your movable assets? Uh, listen, listen, my guy. Uh, great, no? But just, have you thought about, are you sure that God really said? And so there you are, suddenly. Yeah, I know that. Well, I think I know that, but. Okay, but no, but. Yeah, so did he, eh? Did God really say? Verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite, I told you all of these guys end with some sort of it. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he also said, even what they are building, if a fox should get up on it, he would break down their stone wall. More ridicule, more mockery. Literally what this guy is saying is, listen man, don't even worry about these guys. Whatever they're building, even whatever it is they're trying to do there, even if we put a fox on that wall, even something as light as a fox, even if we put a fox on that wall, whatever these guys are trying to do, it's going to come crumbling down. So don't even, that's how bad things are. Don't even worry about this, this little construction project yet. Don't even worry about it. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. More ridicule. More mockery. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been, been given a word from God. And there you are without the resources, without the finances, but you know what God told you. And so you start sharing your vision. You start sharing with people, listen man, I really believe that this is what God is calling me to. And even the people you're sharing it with, hopefully not, hopefully not fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but maybe even on one or two occasions, some of your brothers and sisters in Christ are like, hey, this guy, hey, hey. 
Yeah, nah. No, let him build his small and yana thing there. It's fine. It's fine. Let him build his little thing there. Ah, guys. Ah, even if we put one stone there, ah, the whole thing's just going to come tumbling down. I hope that's not anybody here saying that about someone else's vision. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, a lo- prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In the Amplified, be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. When I read this passage of scripture, what I literally picture is these Hittites, Ammonites, and otherites, literally like roaring lions. This war will never last. These guys don't know what they're doing. It'll never be strong enough. What do they think they're doing? Don't they know we've burnt these walls down? Like roaring lions seeking whom they may devour. And you know what causes them to devour you? Not the fact that they have razor sharp teeth. No, 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 no. What causes them to devour you is the minute you start to associate yourself with the spirit of fear. The minute you allow fear to grip you. The minute you allow, the second you allow fear to take over you. You're now operating in a sphere and an atmosphere of, which is the opposite of faith and that's fear. Whereas you were pumped up and psyched up and hyped up and God is doing this thing, now let's go. Now all of a sudden fear takes over. Did the lion bite you? No, he didn't. Did he even lick you? No, he didn't. What did he do? All he did was... Maybe it's not... Maybe it's not my time. Because the lion said... By the way, guys, my son loves this. So if you, if you, if you, if you talk to him one day, just, just say to him, the, si- the lion goes, and he'll tell you. Rrr. The cow goes. He loves, you, can, you can, anything, any animal you can think of. He knows them all. He knows how to say hippopotamus. I, I'm, sure I, I'm pretty sure I was in high school before I knew how to say hippopotamus. Prior to high school, it was hippo. He says hippopotamus. Anyway, advanced kids. So, so, so did your enemies actually bite you? No. Did they actually physically do anything to you? No. But already you're cowering in fear. Why? Because you've believed the lies. You've made peace with the lies. The lies that have been sown by the enemy, you've literally appropriated them and said, this must be true. Maybe it's actually not time. Down come the walls. Down come the walls. Point number two, when we're building these walls, when we're busy on this construction site, when we've got deadlines and milestones to meet, when we need to get from phase one to phase two, and the enemy is all around us, encamped all about us, roaring and seeking to devour us, we need to remember to pray. We need to remember to pray. When you face persecution, ridicule, mockery, and opposition, please, please get down on your knees, into your closet, or your war room, or your quiet space, or whatever it might be, wherever it might be, and pray. I don't know which Bible you read, but my Bible tells me, And it tells me this in any translation. Whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. My Bible tells me that if I ask anything in the name of Jesus, it will be done. Now, if I realize that I have this ability to bind and loose things and ask for things and have them be literally translated from, from the spiritual realm into my reality, why would I not get down on my knees and pray and say, Lord, your word declares. 
And so, Lord, I come before you in Jesus' mighty name. Not in my own strength. Not in my own name. Verse 4. I've highlighted what stuck out for me. Verse 4 begins as follows. And Nehemiah prayed. And Nehemiah prayed. You see, Nehemiah knew exactly what his weapons were. And one of his strongest and most readily available weapons was prayer. And he knew that. And so that's why the Bible says, and Nehemiah prayed. Point number three, we're moving. Be committed to the cause. Be committed to the cause. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together to half of its height. For the people had a heart to work. We built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height. For the people had a heart to work. They were committed to the cause. Our attitudes will determine how effective we are and how much we are able to accomplish. This means that we must be fully committed to doing what God has told us to do. Not a single gap in the wall remained throughout the entire circumference of the wall. So if you took a walk around from point A all the way around and back to where you had started, you would not find a single gap in the wall. It wasn't all the way up to the height that it needed to be, but there was not a single gap to be found. The entire wall was joined together. From this point on, the only direction for Nehemiah and his crew was upwards. So what that tells me is they had reached a point where the rubble was no longer an issue. They had sorted the rubble out. They reached a point where, they were, and believe you me, there were literally gaps all through the wall, right? This wall had been destroyed and had been burnt to a crisp. And he literally had stationed different families in different positions where those holes and those gaps were. So that had been also sorted. The wall had been joined all the way around. The only direction now is upwards. Phase one of the construction project was complete. Milestone achieved. Phase two, let us move from 50% wall height to maximum wall height across the entire wall. And so the work continued. When you look through Nehemiah chapter four, you'll pick up a few things, quite a few things. Number one, they had the desire and the determination to rebuild the wall. It wasn't a case of um, every, every now and then um, Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to say, okay, listen guys, um, uh, so and so and so and so, you're looking a bit low on determination. So and so and so and so, you're looking a bit weary. In fact, the only time you'll see that happening is when words are spoken by the enemy and the leaders of Judah start to actually believe. They start to associate. They start to accept the lies. So they had the desire and the determination to rebuild the wall. They were prepared to make the necess necessary sacrifices in order to see the task completed. They literally worked in shifts. And when it was not their turn to work, instead of taking a lunch break or having 40 winks, they took up arms and kept watch for signs of any potential enemy attack. They sacrificed their comfort. They stayed overnight instead of going home to sleep in their warm beds. They did not change their clothes except to wash them. They kept their weapons on them at all times, even while building. We need to be committed when it comes to the things we do in the economy of God and for our Lord and Savior. We must have a mind and a heart to work like those who built the wall of Jerusalem. We have to be committed to the cause. Point number four. 
work, watch, and pray in unity. Throughout the chapter, there are repeated references to how we built the wall. We built the wall. Not Nehemiah by himself. Nehemiah realized and he understood the magnitude of the task. He knew that he couldn't build a wall all by himself. So throughout Nehemiah chapter 4, you'll constantly see references to we built the wall. You see, we need to work together. The tendency is for the many to sit back while the few do the work. It's the same in school, it's the same at home, it's the same at work, and it's the same in church life. You see, we are consumeristic in our nature. We want to be consumers instead of being geared towards serving others and working together towards a common goal. We know the scripture. The scripture says where there's unity, God commands his blessing. And where the blessing of the Lord has been commanded, seemingly impossible tasks like rebuilding the entire city wall suddenly become possible. Why? Because where there's unity, God comes and he commands his blessing. This rebuilding of these city walls is blessed. And because it's blessed, it will succeed. So no matter what the enemy is saying, no matter what the Amorites and the Hittites are saying, no matter what Tobiah is saying, as Lord, I speak, I command my blessing for no other reason but because of the unity that I see amongst the people. Nehemiah chapter 4, reading from verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on. In other words, they got the news that, listen guys, in spite of all the negativity that you've been throwing these guys away, hey, the project is still on the go. It's still happening. The, buildings, the building project still continues. And they heard that the breaches were being closed. They were very angry. They all conspired together to come and fight against Jeru Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. The reason why we need to wa work and watch and pray is during the rebuilding process, when the rebuilding is happening, Again, it's not fantastic news, but I have to alert you to the fact that your enemies are going to collectively come together and conspire on ways to take you down and ways to take you out. That's how significant, that's how important it is, the assignment that God has given you, this rebuilding of the walls. That everybody who really considers, them, considers themselves to be your enemy, Satan himself will mobilize them into one political party. And their sole agenda will be, how do we take Stuart out? How do we stop this repairing of the wall? How do we stop him from, from engaging in this rebuilding process? They will come together and have conversations about you. And what is Nehemiah's response? Verse 9. But we prayed to our God. So there they were. Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. Colluding. Coercing each other. Encouraging each other. Coming up with schemes and ideas of how we're going to take these guys out. What do Nehemiah and, and his crew do? But we prayed to our God. This is the reason why I keep saying we need to work and watch and pray in unity. What you'll, what you'll notice in the earlier reference to, to, to Nehemiah praying about it. Initially at the beginning it was Nehemiah saying he prays to God. I prayed to God. Me. Stuart, I went to God and I prayed to God about it. 
What's beautiful about verse 9 is there's now a, this is another clear indication of the unity that's now come about. Because it's not just Nehemiah any longer travailing and praying. The scripture says, but we prayed to our God. Again, Nehemiah knew what weapon would bring him success. Prayer. Prayer. You know, when we come together um, on the very last Friday of every month for Ignite, there's a very, very significant reason why we come together corporately. There's a, there's a very strong and a powerful reason. You see, there's, there's, another, there's another dimension of breakthrough that we experience when we come together corporately in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that your prayer is not able to accomplish much. Where two or three gather together in his name and agree as touching on anything, if they believe, it will be done. But I, what I'm talking about, and at, at, I'm, I'm not sure if it was at the previous Ignite or the one before that, but literally what I'm talking about is where people's, we're able to pray corporately for people's seasons to change. So what that literally means is I'm now going through a winter season. And I've been going through this winter season for a very, very, very long time. And even though I'm a child of God, I'm actually downcast within myself because I can't believe how long this winter has been. And we come together corporately and there's an anointing to break that thing and to turn that season around from winter into summer, from winter into springtime, from lack into abundance. There's a corporate anointing when we come together as the church of Jesus Christ corporately to pray. And that's the beauty that I see in verse 9. But we prayed to our God. Nehemiah chapter 4, 7 and verse 9. And because of them we set up a God against them day and night. I don't know if you're noticing the combination, but there's not just one or the other taking place, right? So oftentimes what we do is we pray about a thing and then, you know, we just, we just forget about it. We just like, okay, I've, I've prayed about it. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no longer a need for me to watch for the results. There's no longer a need for me to watch for the outcome. There's no longer a need for me to watch for the enemies. Same old tricks. Same old tricks of trying to sow deception, lies, doubt. No, 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 no. The, 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 the two go together. You don't just pray. You don't just watch. You don't just work together. You work, you watch, and you pray. You watch and you pray. You watch and you pray. These guys were literally building the wall with a, I'm going to use the wrong word now, shovel. I know it's not a shovel. It's a trough. No, it's not a trough. Okay, someone in the construction industry is going to help me out. But whatever that little spade thing is that you use with your hands, there they are. Dagger, cement, brick, yeah. On this side, I was going to say Okapi. I'm not going to say Okapi. On this side, he's got his sword. He's got his spear. Working. Watching. Where's Tobiah? Is that him in the bush? Yeah, Tobiah. I can see you, my bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm building, Baba. I'm building. I'm building. Yeah. I'm armed and I'm dangerous. Yeah, but we're building. Yeah, we're building. We're watching and praying. Yes, Lord, I believe you're going to do it. I believe it, Lord. Yes. The wall is getting higher. Yes, Lord, I can see it. I can see my victories around the corner, Lord. Yeah, it's still here. It's still here. Never left it at home this morning. Yeah, no, we're building, Baba. We're building, but we're watching. We're watching, we're praying, we're building. We're armed and dangerous. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me this morning? And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Day and night. Day and night. People are being harassed at night. It's an absolute fact. It's an absolute fact. You know why? Do you know why we get harassed at night? Do you know why? Even as a believer, you can get harassed at night. Do you know why? One very simple reason. Because the enemy is a coward. He is a coward. He will never attack you in broad daylight while the sun is shining and you can see him coming from a mile away. He's a coward. He's a coward. He'll try to sneak up behind you from that bush. 
I was gonna say like the traffic cops, but yeah, you try to. <laughs> I was behaving myself so nicely, but he is a coward. He is a coward. He will attack you at the midnight hour, one second before midnight, when you th- when he thinks that you are at your deepest sleep. You know that comfortableness where you where you holding the blanket and the blanket is holding you, and neither one of you are letting go. This is why they set a guard up against them day and night. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mark 13, 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that, you, that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray. Pray. Amen. Amen. We're moving. Point number five. Speak faith in order to overcome fear. I, I've already spoken about this. So, the, so you know there was this barrage of, ah, these guys, what, what do they think they're doing? That was, you know when they say you, you, you turn the heat up. So the thermostat is already on 16. Right? But someone is saying, guys, not enough. It's not enough. Let's crank the volume up. Let's turn the, let's turn the thermostat up. You are that guy. You are Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. The, you, you want to crank it up just a little bit more. This is exactly what's happened. So, so, so they've already seen. They, they spoke about the fox and how bad the war will be and it will never ever stand. And that didn't work because the construction continued. So now they had to crank up the pressure a little bit more. Verse 10. Then the leaders of Judah said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing and there is much rubble. We ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. These are the leaders of Judah. Our enemies said, Jesus. Hey, when you start a sentence like that. Our enemies said, Why are you listening to what your enemies are saying? Our enemies said, They will not know or see us until we are among them. Kill them and put a stop to the work. Our enemies said, They won't even see us coming, guys. We'll slit their throats in the middle of the night and it'll be all over. No more construction. Construction pelile. <laughs> Our enemies said, what did God say? When the Jews who lived near them came, they said to us ten times repeatedly, oh, from every place you turn, they will come up against us. From every place you turn, they will come up against us. They'll be popping out of every bush, from every rock. The tactic of the enemy never ever changes. His tactic is to instill fear in the hearts of the people. So what does Nehemiah do? Verse 13. So I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places. At the open positions where it was least protected. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah says, okay guys, enough is enough. I've had enough of hearing what the enemy says they're going to do to us. So therefore, I'm taking the bishop family. I'm putting them by the east gate. I'm saying, guys, the wall is low there. Watch it. Take a, take a sword, take a spear, take a bow. Right, next family. Nyamudas, come. We're going here, we're going west. Can you see there? It's only five meters high there. Another chance for Tobiah. Right, sword, spear, bow. Are you sharp? We're sharp. Families. I took, I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Hey, Nehemiah wasn't messing around. Why was he doing this? Verse 14. When I saw their fear, when I, when I looked at my people and I saw their fear, 
I stood and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Confidently. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And with courage from him, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and for your homes. I don't know if you like those Braveheart type movies. I don't know if you like those Coach Carter type movies. But I see Coach Carter there. I see him saying, guys, come on. Come on. Pick up your sword. Pick up your spear. We're going in this. We're going to fight for our sons. We're going to fight for our brothers. We're going to fight for our daughters, for our wives, and for our homes. Uh, you guys need to watch more movies. Eh? They can take our land, but they will never take our freedom. Anyway. <laughs> Nehemiah sees the fear in the people, and in order to overcome this fear, he reminds the people just how great, how awesome, and how powerful their God truly is. You see, when we remember, when we recall how big and how great and how awesome our God is, we realize that we have absolutely no reason to fear man who is only flesh and blood. Amen. Amen. You have no reason to fear that colleague of yours at work who keeps harassing you, intimidating you, being a, 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 a thorn in your flesh. You have no reason to fear them. They themselves are only man. They themselves are only flesh and blood. How great, how big, how awesome is the God that you and I serve. Hallelujah. Point number six. You have to know who is doing the building. In order for us to make sure that fear doesn't ever overtake us during the construction process. So during the process of rebuilding these walls, we know the enemy comes with his tricks. He comes with his words. He comes with his lies. He comes with his threats. One of the keys to not allowing those lies, those threats, to take hold of you is to know and remember who is it that's doing the building 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11 therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing go Christian church you are building each other up I encourage you to continue to encourage one another and build each other up build each other up you are part of those who are doing the building. 1 Corinthians 14.26 What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, like now, like this morning on a Sunday, each of you has a hymn, or like on a Wednesday or on a Thursday at a go group meeting, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We're building up the walls. We're building up the walls. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It seems like a contradiction, but just, just, just walk, walk with me along this path. We are building each other up in this most holy faith. I am Jimmy's keeper, whether he likes it or not, whether, whether I keep tramping on his baby toe or not. He's my brother in Christ, and I am part of the building process concerning Jimmy's life and his walk with Christ. I'm, I'm involved. I'm connected with Jimmy. We're in this together. But the scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, so me and Jimmy, Jimmy and I, those that labor, labor in vain. So we are building, but unless we're building with God, we're actually building in vain. We're actually laboring in vain. What this tells me is, I can't remove God from the equation. 
it might sound like an obvious one, but just think about it for a moment. We build and we're building every single day, whether we realize it or not. And oftentimes, oftentimes, and I'll be the first one to put my hand up, oftentimes, because, I mean, there's pressure to earn an income, right? There's pressure to keep putting petrol in your car, right? We, we're living in this world. We, we, we're in this world, but we're not of this world, right? So oftentimes what happens, we're building every single moment of every single day in some way or the other, but often, often what happens unwittingly is we end up building without God. We end up building our own agenda. We end up building our own plans. We've got our five-year plan. We've got our five-year construction plan. And we're building the world that we have prioritized. So at a certain point, we, yeah, we're building with God. We're laboring. I'm laboring with Jimmy. Both of us are laborers. We're building. But at a certain point, Jimmy continues to build with God. And at a certain point, like Trevor Noah says, everyone's going that way. And then I decide, yeah, I'll get you on a double up, but I'm going. And I start building for me. I start building for me. Without God. The scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is building his church and in the same way that we are co-heirs with Jesus, we are also co-laborers with God in building his kingdom. What does it mean to follow God's architectural design for our lives? Do you know that God has an architectural design for your life? Do you know that? His word says, for I know, God speaking, I know the plans that I have for you. My architectural plans will involve you prospering and no harm coming your way. My plans will give you a hope and a future. I have plans for you. As the architect of your life, I've got approved plans and I want us you and I to build together can you see why you can't leave God out of the equation can more than one plan coexist for the same one structure there are, there are many laborers but there's only one foreman there's only one guy in charge. Go onto any construction site the world over. There's lots of guys doing lots of things all at the same time. But there's only one guy that's in charge. There's only one guy that's in charge. There's only one guy that will come up to you and say, Listen, my guy, I don't know what you are on right now. But this wall, I'm not happy. Break it down and start again. When, when you're being spoken to by that guy, you're being spoken to by the guy who's in charge. There's no doubt about it. That's, that's the guy, that's the head guy speaking to you. And he'll tell you, can you see the plans? Can you see what was approved? Where do you see this wall in these plans? Was it approved by me? Or are you the boss? I'm not the boss. Now you the boss. Okay, you tell us. Tell us then. Tell us what's the plans. Since you have plans, I've never seen these plans. I only know about the approved plan. And sometimes God allows us that. Sometimes he gives us a bit of rope. Because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. Be careful, take heed that in all our planning, in all our building, in all the things that we do on a daily basis, that we don't forget to build with God and we don't forget to build according to his plan. There are many laborers, but only one foreman. There are many ideas, but only one vision. There are many designs, but only one chief architect who has the approved plan that we must all build according to amen hallelujah jesus can we all stand this morning amen